I'm pretty quiet in, for the most part. But if I felt like I needed to say something, I would. The best leader isn't always the loudest person in the room. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. This episode is brought to you by our friends Chris and Drew at Wear Testers. Save yourself time and money on your next pair of basketball or running shoes by checking the detailed reviews from the pros at Wear Testers. Every review talks about fit, cushion, traction, materials, and my favorite, support. I promise you, you're not going to find another shoe review source who's out there wearing the shoes and then giving you the real deal truth behind what each pair of shoes brings or doesn't bring. So get to weartesters.com, W-E-A-R-T-E-S-T-E-R-S.com, or check out their YouTube channel for more detailed shoe reviews. Our guest today is 13-year NBA veteran Steve Blake. Steve has a winning pedigree at every level. He won a high school state championship at Miami High. He won a national high school championship at Oak Hill Academy, won an NCAA championship with Maryland under Gary Williams, and we had an absolutely incredible conversation. Let's get into it. Steve, you grew up outside of Miami, and where in that youth process of, of getting into sports and, and being around you know, that area and growing up in that time, where did you fall into basketball, or was, was, there, was basketball the first love out of the gates for you? Yeah, for me, starting out in my sports journey, it was pretty much every sport. You know, my dad had me playing uh, basketball, soccer, golf, tennis, baseball, you name it. Um, I was doing it. We were a very athletic family. I have three older sisters um, who all were big into soccer and I was as well. Um, But I was always really good at, you know, pretty much every sport. And as I got older to around, I think it was seventh eighth grade my dad was like hey you know you're getting older let's let's pick a sport you know let's focus on something instead of just bouncing around all the time and basketball was what I was just drawn to I loved it I loved the competition um I was probably a little bit better at that than everything else and it was the sport I wanted to to pursue and then from that point on we we kind of just went after that Talk a little bit about your dad relationship with your dad growing up as a person that supported you pushed you and 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 helped you to kind of grow into that love for basketball eventually but what was that how did your dad do that and what was your dad's style of of helping you and coaching you as I I think he was a very good golfer correct your your dad yeah my dad was was a pro for a little while he was uh he won the Florida Open and the Jamaica Open Um, so he he taught me golf from a young age it was another sport I I love to this day especially now that I'm retired I play a lot of it um yeah yeah my relationship with my dad we were super close um someone that probably took me to every practice and every game starting from a little kid um, he was a, a property manager uh, for a company that kind of gave him it kind of gave him some freedom to be there for me more than maybe some other some other kids um, he was able he, he, he pushed me um, he taught me 
and it wasn't always uh, sometimes challenged me uh, in ways I didn't like. Um, but at the end of the day, the way he pushed me and always put me in situations to be successful um, really helped me out. So we were really close, really close to this day, um, along with obviously my mom as well, um, in the somewhat in the background, but always there for me and supporting me and my family and all and all that. So um, I, I was very blessed to have um, a great home with uh, a mother and father for sure. Talk a little bit about those times and maybe there's a specific example that you're you're open to sharing about that was sort of a, a heat of the moment. Uh, you look back with with your dad pushing you and, and pushing you maybe right to the edge of things. And and but you look back <laughs> now and you say, hey, you know, that's that's kind of what it took. That's what I needed at the time. And, and maybe at the time you hated it, but it, or you, you you battled it. But is there is there anything that stands out on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there'd be times, you know, as you get older and you become a teenager, you think you know what's best, right? right. So there becomes a point where you're like, "Come on, Dad, I I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about." And you know, you'd be like, "No, this is what you need to be doing, and this is what you, you know." So you'd have those confrontations, but you know, in the moment they stink, you know. But you know, the day goes by, you wake up the next morning, and you realize that you know, he's only trying to help you out. And we, we, we had those battles back and forth at, at times. Um, but I obviously looking back, I know it was great for me. Um, and he was the guy, he, he really pushed me. No question. I mean, he, we had a small backyard in my house and my dad, um, laid concrete down in the back and put a hoop up in my backyard. And every night he'd be like, you know, if you're not working, you know, someone else is, he would always, send me to the backyard, you know, go get extra shots, go play. And, you know, and at the time, like I said, I had three older sisters. And so they always had their guy friends around. So I was always playing against bigger, older guys, uh, older kids. And so they, I got pushed around a bit, which kind of, you know, made me tougher. And, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, he did everything he could for me. He sacrificed a lot and, and that's what it, that's what it took to help me get where I, where I was at. No Glad doubt. You glad you mentioned those older kids um because you know throughout your career you developed a, a reputation as somebody who who wouldn't back down you know if somebody came at you it wouldn't matter if it was you know an opposing a opposing point guard where you'd had a rivalry over the years <laughs> and you were just used to going back and forth or it was a bigger wing or even someone from the you know a, a power forward or center who'd come at you where do you think that that toughness and that steeliness came from was it those kind of backyard battles or or was it just something innate in you probably both um you know having three sisters that tease you you know having uh big older kids around. Um, and my dad was kind of that way as well. I'd go watch him play pickup games, even from a young kid. And he was a tough guy. And, um, he would always even take me to, you know, what would be considered maybe, uh, you know, tougher games as a kid into tougher areas where, and he would just always preach, you know, don't back down. Don't you ever back down from anybody, you know, just, just go out there and give it your best. And, you know, I just kind of was taught that from a young age and, and that's just kind of the way I, I was. Um, and you kind of had to be that way down in Miami, you know, it's, it's basketball and any sport, really it's tough. You know, someone's always trying to get the best of you and, and you just have to be prepared for that. Steve, you mentioned some of the, those great athletes coming up in Miami and, and you came up with Udonis Haslam. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what he was like, both as a player and a person back in the, in the high school kind of era? 
Yeah, Udonis was awesome. I mean, I, I transferred into Miami High, um, and he was already there. And from the second I got there, he was the type of guy that was like, man, I got you. I got your back. You ever need anything here? Um, you're part of the family now. And you can see that that's how he is now in the NBA. You know, anybody that talks about him knows he's a team guy. He's going to he's got your back. You know, he's going to fight for you. And he was that same way from from the young age. And so I always had a lot of respect for him. He'll always be my brother. And, um, you know, it's no surprise that he's stayed in one team for so long and had so much success. It's not a surprise at all. What are the things that you look at as what it how, how you brought what you brought to the table and brought the team together and and then you know you and Udonis doing that together just being such a tandem? Yeah, um, a lot of that just that success at Miami High with Udonis also was because of our coach Frank Martin, who's yeah. had a lot of success in college and who's someone that had that that drive, that win, that intensity that kind of stayed with me and his other. Uh, my other teammates probably all throughout their life. Um, so he helped set that stage as well. Um, but for me as a player, um, you know, growing up, I was always really small. I was always really skinny. I was the shortest guy. So I kind of had to have the skill set and the, the, the brains to run the point guard. You know, I had, I had, mm. I had to do that. I wasn't, I was never going to physically um, outman somebody. Um, that just wasn't something I was going to be able to do. And so I needed to be quick, which I was, I was pretty quick, but then I could just had an understanding for the game. And yeah. so I wasn't, I was never going out there trying to dominate in a scoring capacity. I was always trying to make other people better. And my job was to understand the game, pass the ball, handle it, knock down open shots. And I basically did that my entire career from a little age all the way up to 13 years in the NBA, it was the same style of basketball. I mean, I've probably never averaged more than 15 points at any particular time in my entire career. And so passing became what I did best. Winning came yeah. along with that. And as long as I won, I was preached this from a young age. If I won, I'll have success and didn't matter what my stats and stuff would be. So that's kind of how I played all the time. For anyone else that, you know, has a similar body type to yours and, particularly these games days, you know, people just seem to be getting longer and broader and be able to leap out of the gym at increasing a young age. What might be some tips that you would have for a younger player listening or the parent or coach of, you know, a precocious kind of young point guard coming up where they can, as you said, kind of dominate with their mind, kind of read and react and just learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, as I've, even as I grew up and even through the pros at times, like I was preached a lot, man, you got to get bigger. You got to get, you know, you got to get more muscle. You got to get, you know, fill out some. And there was times where I tried to do that and I probably put on a little bit, you know, probably got up to 185, one closer to 190 at one point in my career. And I felt slow and I just realized that's not for me. Um, so I needed to be thin, I think. And I, and I thought being quick, and being on balance for me was more important than anything. And I realized that. Um, so I didn't, I didn't need to be super muscular. Um, I'm not saying that you don't lift weights because obviously you do need to lift weights. You need to have those functional movements. You have to be able to control your body and all that stuff. Uh, but everybody's body type is different. Um, yeah. And for me, I needed to be lean and thin and I needed to be quick more than anything. And so just don't be uh, disheartened by your body shape or your, 
size um, because you can use it to your advantage uh, depending on what you're trying to do. I love that you said that, Steve, because one of the things I would say to incoming players that either we just drafted or that I was, we traded for gotten free agency or when I first got to the Lakers, but during my time there was what's the body weight that you prefer to play at and, Mm -hmm. and that you feel best at, because I don't know what that feels like. You're Mm -hmm. the one, you know? And so some guys like to have that little extra mass. Some guys like to feel like, yeah, if I can keep that on and, and during the season, it's, it's tougher and tougher as the season goes on to keep on some mass and things like that. The games come so fast and furious and we're traveling all the time and it's tough, but some guys like that little bit of extra mass and it feels better Mm -hmm. for them because they play a certain position or they play a certain way that they need that extra bulletproof and and to bang or do what they've got to do. Like you said, that's not for everybody. That's, that's dependent on the individual that's dependent on your your style of play the position you play and Mm -hmm. the the minutes you play in a certain game and and so being able to approach that from a case-by-case basis was always something that I felt like was really important and and who am I to say well I think you should weigh this or everybody just sort of blanketly says to players you you gotta bulk up you gotta Mm -hmm. like you said (laughs) coaches say you gotta fill out man you gotta get in there and and put those (laughs) you know and I think that happens a lot, but it, it really should be a little bit, it, it needs to be a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, yeah, for sure. Like yeah. the whole, you know, the bio-individuality type yeah. you know, thing where we're all different, but you got to grind, you still got to grind. You got to totally. grind in the right way and you got to grind it, you know, and you have to take advice from someone like you, Tim, who, and you, and you talk it through and you work it out together. That's um, what it is. And it should never just be like, this is way, like you said, it's this way or the highway. Um, right. Because there are different ways to go about it. And sometimes your trainer will be right. And sometimes the player will think he's right, but he's not right. You, know? so you, gotta, <laughs> you have to kind of work back and forth and work together. Yeah, it, it has to be a team and a team effort and, and a dialogue and a conversation. Uh, and and I think that's the piece where I was respected so much with you is we, we just always had a conversation. It was I was learning mm-hmm. from you as much as 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 much as anything I could you know teach or show you. And 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 so that's the part from both sides. If, if you're a strength coach listening, I think that that approach is any, any player wants to be, you know, they should, they need to have equal say in kind of how we design this program and what we're doing. And then, you know, both the player side needs to sort of be open and saying, yeah, you know what, because like you said, you have to get those reps in. They don't all have to be with an agenda or an objective of saying, Hey, I, our goal here is to put on five, 10 pounds of mass, but putting those reps in, in time under tension and being under the bar, so to speak, it, people often forget it, you know, you know, because having a 13 year NBA career, there's a lot of toll that it takes on your body. You have to create the durability that being in the weight room does for you, but it doesn't always have to mean it, the objective is to bulk up. And I, I always do find it, it funny where you have this myth that still exists where players, I think, fall back on it. That is, I mean, you always were one who was like, let's go, we're going to get in, we're going to move some weight and get strong. And, and we would not super, we would not necessarily go high volume of things with that bulking objective, but we would move some weight around mm-hmm. as, as time allowed. And you, yep. you, 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 you love that. And, and, but some people fall back on this thing that still exists of 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay away from the weight room. Cause I, I think it's going to mess up my shot. You know? and so <laughs> right, so right. that's the piece where I'm like, well, I, it won't do that. I, I promise you that. But, um, <laughs> it, 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 and, and so, you know, you look at some of the greatest shooters out there who, you know, Ray Allen lifted hard and often, and, um, you know, you, you look at guys like, um, you know, I mean, you were a great shooter. You lifted hard and, and as often as was necessary and, and regularly all throughout the season. And you have Steph Curry now who over time has, has gone from a, a leaner body into, you can see some muscle mm-hmm. definition that he's put on and on purpose in a calculated mm-hmm. way as he does everything. And there's so right. many great shooters that, that, that was, they, they were never afraid to push some weight around and, and, and do it in a way that didn't necessarily change their body uh, uh, size and dimensions, but that helps to support the, what they're doing and be a quicker release or be more balanced on your shot and things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'll, I'll touch on two of the things that you kind yeah. of talked about, like the communication between a, a player and a trainer. And I think this is something you were really great at is like, I, I like to grind. I like to work really hard, but there was some days, as you know, I come in and be like, Tim, dude, I just don't got it you know totally <laughs> I'm tired, man i'm worn out like i need a break and you'd be like no all good man let's just do something really light you know you know just to get you totally. moving or something and and that was that's that's huge it's huge versus yeah. you know if i might come in tired or a day and you, you, instead of forcing it on me you know you, we kind of would work together and that you know throughout a whole season and summer and all that that's kind of where the communication is is really big and then also when it comes to shooting, you know, that myth of it'll ruin my jump shot. You know, our bodies are so adaptable. You know, if, you, if you've never lifted weights before and you go in the weight room and you, you push hard weight and then you go right to the court, your body's not going to be ready for that. But after totally. a few months of doing that, your body, you're going to lift weights and you're going to go out there and be like, dude, I'm totally fine. I'm used to this now. Um, so that's, that's just the way it goes. And then you kind of fine tune like, all right, maybe I won't lift maybe I'll lift an hour before practice so that I have a little time right. to rest and get some reps up, or maybe I'll lift after practice or something. But in general, it's not going to ruin your shot. If you're not lifting in the wrong way, you, you should be fine. I'm so glad you, you highlighted that. And I, I think to your first point there, it, that that's the feel side of being able to be in a strength coach role or rehab professionals role or athletic training role, that kind of thing, sports medicine team. And, and, and every day is you have to reassess every day. You don't know what happened in the last 24 hours, how many minutes you played, what kind of, what was your opponent? Maybe your opponent was a a bigger guard who really battled you and and got you into some, some more physical contact spots and, and your, your body's feeling it the next day, or maybe it was a a guard that you had to chase around off of screens and that kind of thing. So there's different reasons and different, every game is not the same. Every game is very different in terms of who you're guarding and what happens out there. And not only your, your minutes can change from night to night, but that ability for a, a person in my role to be able to say again, uh, you know, let's, we'll figure out what we're going to do tomorrow, tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and your body's going to tell us what that's going to feel like. You're going to know, Hey, I'm feeling extra crispy today, man. We've got to <laughs> let's, let's just get some mobility work. And it's um, it, 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 that old line of, if you, if you listen to a, an athlete, if you listen to a patient, 
or an athlete long enough, they'll, they'll tell you what they need. And, and the key word there is listen, you have to be yeah. able to listen. And I'm, I'm glad that um, looking back, that felt that way for you. And I wasn't too much of a, of a hard ass trying to puff pound my chest <laughs> and tell you what to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, the other piece of, of what you talked about there is such a good point that we would be drafting during my years and years we had together, we were drafting a lot first, second, third and in, in early top 10 draft picks. And so you get these 19 year old, 20 year old kids that come in. They've definitely never spent time in the weight room really that much. They probably didn't do a ton in high school. They pro depending on where they were, they probably didn't do a ton in their one year at college because they showed up in August and then track mm -hmm. balls rolled out and then they <laughs> made, make a run towards the final four. If they're on a good squad and then they go to the draft. So you know, I think a lot of times they get there and they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure about this. I've never added this stimulus into the mix and I don't know how I feel about it at first. And then you take a guy like you, you take a guy like I brought up Antoine Jameson on this podcast a lot before he was, he was a guy that loved to lift pretty intensely hard, but quick before a game, he liked how that switched him on, but he had to, he had to adapt to that, to use your word. And that was the perfect word to do it. That's what your body does. And, mm -hmm. and your body has adaptation abilities that you get used to things. And then all of a sudden shooting after you lift, doesn't feel quite so daunting and it right. doesn't really change it. You get used to it and your body physically and sort of mentally, you get used to what that feels like and you're fine mm -hmm. with it. And it takes some time, but you, you, the, the, the plus the benefits are so big of the durability mm -hmm. side of, you know, just turning your body on to that, those levels and feeling like everything is solid before you go out and play and get banged around and, and have to have your yourself on all cylinders. It's, it's yep. just so, so important. So I think I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think for a lot of younger players, give it some time, play around with it. Like you said, you don't have to just jump right out onto the court. You could set it up where you lift an hour before, give yourself a chance to go eat something light after you lift. And then you feel like, okay, I can shake out my arms a little bit before, before yeah. I start, you know, working on my shot and, and having to shoot. But I think you have a lot of guys that you, you were actually a guy, as I remember, who would also take advantage of, and I want you to touch on this a little bit, the, the, the train that just starts steamrolling of the NBA season where you knew if we don't lift after a game, for instance, in some cases, and you might've just played 30 plus minutes and, and be exhausted, but you'd grab me on the way into the locker room before the coach talk and say, I'll meet you in there in 10 minutes. And mm -hmm. we, we, we would get a good lift right after the game. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially in the NBA, it's kind of about understanding your schedule. Um, understanding what's coming up ahead, um, kind of what works for you. Um, cause in general, like I didn't, I wasn't a big, we did a little bit in the weight room before the game, but I wasn't a big heavy lifter before the game. Right. I, I would just, for me personally, that wasn't my thing. And so I knew I didn't want to miss a whole day or sometimes it could be two, three days cause we have a couple of games. And then, That's um, right. so we, we would communicate and I'd grab, be like feeling good. Like I'm already loose. Right. I just right. played a bunch of minutes. My body is like, you know, I, I competed hard, but I still got some left, you know, so let's go, let's go do it now while I'm loose. And so that's kind of became a routine for me at some point. I, I forget what year it was. I kind of figured that out. I figured, but that became something that I regularly did, you know, um, not every game, but you know, when the schedule, you know, was, was, was 
to a point where I needed to do it. That's that's what we did. So, yeah, that was it was great. The lesson there is for the younger player to start to say, hey, if you want to really make something out of wherever, whatever level you're at or get to another level or extend your time at a certain level, it does come down to looking at it as a, a, a business person would look at developing right. your own business. And, and, right. and this has to be you have to do planning you have to do projecting you have to see right. you know be able to do that so you 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 were one of the best at that what kind of leader would you say you are like if you had to give a scouting report on on your leadership on the floor and in the uh, locker room i've always in general led by example um i think you know especially my competitive spirit um you know i didn't feel like i needed to be that rah rah you know you know, always talking, you know, giving speeches type of person. I think Tim can share to, you know, to that. I'm, I was, I'm pretty quiet in for the most part, but if I felt like I needed to say something, I would, I didn't hold my tongue by any means. Um, but I was okay with other people being vocal leaders. Now on the court, I was very vocal, you know, I was going to help, you know, tell people where to go and be communicating all throughout the game. Um, but in general, I just tried to compete as hard as I could and hopefully people would follow that. I read a, a leadership book. I really wish I knew what it was really early on in my career. And the biggest thing I, I took from it was that the best leader isn't always the loudest person in the room. And it, it made me and it talked about little things like it might just be, you know, someone like myself who may be, you know, maybe sixth, seventh down the line and say, you know, a totem pole of the team. You know, you got your superstars and whatnot. But I could go talk to those guys privately, maybe the loudest guy and, and put something in his ear and give him some advice, to, you know, and then maybe he'll be the one that says it out loud. And so I kind of would lead in those little ways by having conversations, you know, without having to be someone who's talking in front of the team all the time. And I think for young people, especially to realize that you can be a leader by not even saying a word. I mean, it can be as little yeah. as just diving on the floor or, or, you know, it could be a side conversation and, and know that you're making an impact. Um, so that I, I've always believed in that. Yeah. And, and from my lens of it and, and being around you, Steve, and, and watching you do your craft execute and, and, and perform your craft so artfully and skillfully, a big part of what you brought to the table was the leadership in that unique way. As Phil said, you being you not getting outside of your normal personality, but you brought up Steve, something that I tend to talk to our staff here at TD athletes edge about into any entry level professional in my field who says, Hey, what, what does it take? How do you, how do you move up the ranks or where, how can you give me some tips on how to get to where I need to go? They think I'm going to give them some, you know, big, textbook that they should go read and, and tell them the secrets of technical skill development. And it's like, look, if let me have you start with one thing, start with being enjoyable to be around somebody mm -hmm. that you, you, your teammates and your, your people that you're on a team with that, that they say, yeah, I love, I love being around Steve, it, whether we're in competition or we're, we're just preparing for it or we're just hanging out. Uh, and that's all within our control. We, we control that. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we have the ability to control that. And, and, I think that that has to be the bedrock of 
what it it starts with and then yes of course there's ways to develop your your technical skills and there's the you, you put in the reps and you do the you get around people that have done it before and you learn from experts and or people that are advanced and that kind of thing but it it's not going to work well for very long if you're not enjoyable to be around those are the people that you say what happened to so and so and that's that's just the reality of it in any profession in any industry in any field and you have I, I have plenty of examples. I'm sure you do, Steve, as well in terms of basketball players. I have plenty of people in my field who are far more advanced knowledge wise. They have incredible just knowledge and insight and they're very educationally just just curriculum based or they're they're sound and, and extremely advanced from what they know and and how they can talk about the industry. But that is a lot different than being enjoyable to be around. And when you have both of those, obviously you have Hall of Fame level people, but that mm-hmm. that's what it has to start with. You had that. You also had this competitiveness and this reliability aspect that I think as a leader is it's it's non-negotiable. It's it's you you need to know as a teammate and you will start to look at somebody as a leader if a they're enjoyable to be around b they're always there when they're doing their job whatever their job is you always had that and you know that hey in the trenches in the foxhole as as i've used the term before i i want this guy next to me and <laughs> and and i think that's and then that last piece is the communication that you brought up and and that's a piece that as i'm thinking through kind of what three prongs help to describe a really great leader. It does not have to be rah, rah. And communication doesn't mean yelling, screaming, barking orders. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just means, and you, that was such a good example that you brought up there of, Hey, I, I wasn't, it didn't need to come from me. It actually wasn't going to be as good coming from me because of my personality. It would seem not as authentic, it, but mm-hmm. if I go to the person where it would seem authentic from, maybe they just needed the seed of what they needed to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's just a deeper level of leadership that maybe those little pieces were conversations you had off the court or, or in off hours that I never even really saw. And thank you for uh, opening up that, that insight uh, that I didn't even get a chance to see. So good. So good there. So two state titles at Miami high, you then spent a year at Oak Hill Academy, right? It did. Um, just to clear up, I, so Miami High did win two state championships and, and yep. many more, but I was I was there for one of them. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, 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 got it, got it. So my, my, my junior year, I was, my sophomore year, I was at Miami Killian uh, High School first. And then I, so we, we, we lost in the finals, the final four, my sophomore year. Went to Miami High, won a champ, state champ. And then we went, I went to Oak Hill Academy after that. And we won a national championship there. Um, so yeah, Oak Hill was another, you know, powerhouse basketball school. If you follow high school sports, everyone, you know, you would know that if you know, uh, yep. high school basketball, um, many NBA guys have been there. Steve Smith's a hall of fame basketball coach. Um, and it was a, an amazing, uh, you know, different coming from a big city to going to Oak Hills in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. Um, so small, the nearest town was like, 20 minutes away and there was like one stoplight in that town that's how small (laughs) (laughs) so it was like it was tough at first I mean I'm not gonna lie you know going from you know with my family to living by myself in a house with a bunch of basketball players but after that month or two of getting used to it it was amazing we played the best competition in the country we traveled all over the place um all you do is school and basketball. You walk across from your little dorm and there's the, the gym. So you're going to get better. Um, you, my schooling got better. And, and you know, when you're playing, your own teammates are, are 
the best in the country. So you're playing against the best every single day. And so that was a heck of an experience as well. What describe what the, because, you know, you have some of those Oak Hill rosters in, in over their years and, and their runs of dominance where the, you, you have guys that, I mean, Carmelo went there and you have guys uh, that had, did have long careers, but it sounds like your team that won a title, a championship mm-hmm. there didn't have necessarily that, that upper echelon guy or, or prospect or person that was going to be a potential number one pick type of guy, which they've had plenty of, what was the DNA or what was, how would you describe what, what allowed your team though, to win that title? Yeah. You know, there's different type of teams. You have those teams where you do have the Carmelos and and like Rajon Rondo went there and Stackhouse and and you have those teams where you have a superstar and you kind of base everyone else around that person. We were a team full of guys kind of like myself who were really good. We weren't McDonald's All-Americans. We weren't like right at the top of the class, but we were all really good and we were all going to grind it out and compete. And so we did that. We won by committee. We were so, I mean, we, I I think that year we probably played like 10 top 25 teams. Uh, We were undefeated but we all wanted to play defense. We all wanted to do things the right way. We all just had that, that competitive spirit. Um, and so we, that just, that's what's made that that's what made us great. And that kind of, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute was kind of like my college team as well. Um, we just did it by committee with a bunch of really good basketball players. You alluded to earlier that little bit of a culture shock of getting going from big city to one, one uh, stoplight town and <laughs> middle of nowhere. Was there, how sort of dicey did that get for you? Was there a point where you're calling home or you're calling you're, you're thinking, man, did, is this going to last? Do I want to be like, how, how bad did that get? Yeah. In, internally pretty bad. Yeah. You know, you, um, you move into a house, um, with a bunch of rooms with your teammates, but I had a room by myself and, and, you know, I, you know, I have very close family. I have three older sisters and, you know, I've was just always around my family and to be separated from that. Plus with no outlets of really being able to go anywhere or see like my old friends. And um, I remember some nights being in my room, just like, what am I doing here? Like, this isn't wow. worth it, you know? And, um, but those are the type of things you get past it, you know, something will happen the next day and you'll feel better. And then you have those ebbs and flows, like I said, for that, that first month and a half or so until you start to build those relationships with your teammates that are there and, and you start to play more basketball and get into the season, all that stuff. And then you, and then you just get comfortable. Um, yeah. But it's, it's trying. I mean, no yeah. question, you know, as a young kid, I mean, it's, it's, it was tough, um, but it was what's best for me and, and it worked out. One of the things that I'm as I'm, as we're you're weaving this story and this journey for us so beautifully is coming together is you had winning at every stop. One of the things you highlighted and underscored earlier is you were preached to and and believed strongly and and bought into the fact that winning success will for you will follow from winning as a team and being mm-hmm. able to have that fall together as you're seeing things you know come together what what was that like in terms of that chapter of is one year at oak hill and then it was sort of you're into this recruiting period at that point where it's really kind of Mm -hmm. time to make a decision what was what was that like what was the recruiting time for you and and how did it end up being maryland where you ended up landing 
Yeah, it, I mean, it, it starts pretty early on. You know, I was I was a good player as a freshman and sophomore in high school. Right. And, and at the, in those early times, um, when I was a kid, you just start getting like thousands of letters. And you start to realize, you know, every school sent them to you. But then you realize at first it's like, wow, look at all these letters. They all want me. And then you realize, oh, those are just generic letters. They right. just want you to see them. <laughs> right. They really don't know who you are yet. Right. Um, and then so then as you get better, you start to play on some AAU teams, um, played some travel teams. And then you start to get really get recognized and then they'll call and whatnot. And by the time I got to Miami High, um, there was a few universities that I was really interested in. Um, and I was kind of always, I was interested in kind of committing early. I kind of wanted to get through my dad and I were like, let's get through this quickly. Let's find the right place. Um, and it kind of came down to um, there was NC state was there early on because I had a great relationship with the player that played there named Chris Cocciani um, Syracuse in uh, Maryland were kind of the, the three. And I considered Miami a little bit, but they weren't a very big program at the time. They, they, you know, they weren't selling out games. It just wasn't that that college atmosphere that I was right. looking for. Um, so I took some unofficial visits to Syracuse and Maryland. And uh, and I actually ended up committing while I was at Miami High, even before I went to Oak Hill. And wow. for me, it was it was a it was a there was a few things that kind of really intrigued me about Maryland for for why I went there. And one, it was an ACC school. I love the ACC. Um I went on their campus. I really enjoyed the players I got to spend some time with and the coaches. And But the biggest thing um, I would say, the factor of why I chose there over, over Syracuse was that I knew I'd have a really good shot of starting my freshman year. They had a senior point guard, Terrell Stokes, um, that was there that was graduating. And Steve Francis um, had just transferred in. He was a junior, but I knew he was going pro, which was going to leave a vacancy at their point guard position. Mm. And so as, you know, Frank Martin and my dad and myself were like, well, this seems like too good to be true. You know, I'll come into a major university that doesn't have a point guard. Um, I'll be basically the only true point guard on the team. You'll have a chance to start and kind of run with it from there. And, and they didn't promise me the starting job, but I, I kind of just was confident. I felt like it was a great situation. And so, that ended up being why I committed there is because that opportunity to not have to sit behind a junior or senior for a couple of years. And I could just get in there and start playing right away. That's incredible. And I want to point out it's the ACC at that time was, that was the OG ACC. That was where the ACC was a beast night in night out. Not what, not that ACC that uh, we see now it's uh, it's a lot different now, but not to take anything away, but that was a different level. That's, that's one tradition of, of that conference was at a you know, a oh, peak, you know, peak. it was all about those rivalries and the competition. And man, I just loved, you know, before I got there watching those, you know, North Carolina Duke games, the Maryland, North Carolina. And that was, that was, it's, I'll tell you this one story from uh, one reason I fell in love with Maryland really quickly was um, they, Maryland was playing number one ranked North Carolina. And I remember watching it on TV. It was on ESPN at Coalfield house at Maryland and Maryland beat, number one, North Carolina. And the crowd was going crazy. And it was just amazing. I, was, I just remember that game. And the very next day, their assistant coach, Dave Dickerson, was in my high school gym at Miami High recruiting me. And I was like, what are you doing here, man? I just watched the game last night. He's like, no, we want you bad. Like, I'm here wow. for you. It's like, I was like, to me, that meant so much, you know, for him to like just have won a major game like that. Yeah. And the very next day, be there trying to talk to me. I mean, that stood out in my mind. And it was like, okay, I, I, 
that's someplace that wants me there. I believe that, and it felt good. Yeah, and I think for any young player listening, you brought up a good point that this was a decision by committee. So obviously, folks were going to leave it up to you to make the final call. But you know, your coach was involved, your your family was involved, and it was mm-hmm. you know, it was a, seems like a very mature and cerebral decision for a teenager to be making at that point. Yeah, and my dad had a big big part of that and just kind of helping me realize you know let's you know take advice from your coaches and 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 because as, as a player I wouldn't have known to really think about the position the situations of the position like is there a junior or senior there like how's that going to pan out like I I was probably too young to be thinking about that but they weren't you know they were thinking ahead for me and kind of pointed those situations out and, and it made a big difference. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that that freshman season and, you know, how the season progressed. And then obviously you end up surprising some people and weren't able to, to take it all the way to the championship that first year, as TD said. But, man, you guys went on a pretty healthy run there. Yeah, we were we were good. Um, we ended up see, my, my first year. Um, we lost to an, in the tournament, an amazing UCLA team um, mm. that had a ton of talent. Um, and, you know, we just didn't play very well in the, in the tournament. It kind of, uh, you know, that year, which was a good year, kind of came to an abrupt end for us. And it kind of hurt, you know, it hurt that we, we were better than we finished. And I think all of us as a group um, wanted to take it to the next level. And so we, that summer was huge. We all worked hard. We got better and we came back and we became one of the best teams, quickly one of the best teams in the country and ended up going to a final four um, my sophomore year. And again, we, you know, at one point, you know, we were up 20, I think against Duke in the final four. And um, unfortunately we, we gave it away and that was a heartbreaker. Um, It was a tough loss. And like we've kind of touched on a few times, it's it's how you respond to those tough moments. Um, We weren't satisfied with just getting to the final four. And we most all of us were coming back except for Terrence Morris. And so we knew we were going to be really good again. And we took it personal and we got better and we got better every year, every single day, um, every game and uh, came back the next year and won a national championship. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you highlighted that. It's it's. It really is. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be tough pills to swallow along anybody's journey, whether you're in a, your own individual journey or you're talking about a, a team's process. I, I always love looking back at teams that people, they come onto people's radar when they win the championship or when they, mm-hmm. when they're finally in that final four. And, and it's like, wow, where did Maryland come from? Or where did you, you look at a team like OKC in the NBA, for instance, and, and the years that, when it was Harden, Durant, and Westbrook, and they had to go through a lot of growing pains and a lot of losses and earlier exits than maybe they felt like they were talented enough mm-hmm. to be exiting as before they cracked through and they're, you know, they're playing Miami in the finals and who knows what would have happened if that never gets broken up. But those, right. those years that, and, and honestly, it was a, lot, a couple of those losses early in the playoffs to, to the to Lakers teams and things like that, that, 
they do you they you kind of look at it as like one little layer at a time okay your freshman year you you build this layer okay we're not pleased with that but that was way too early from what we're good enough to be doing you put that second layer in okay we made it to a final four but we just had to be faced with this bitter moment and and we're gonna what you said was really really key and i i think that great people in any industry in any field and, and certainly athletes that i've been around they do take it personally. And, and I think there's a, there's a dangerous side to taking everything personally. And there's people we all know who they take every little thing personally, and that's not what we're talking about, but mm -hmm. to have this collective group of players uh, in their early young adulthood, who this means so much. And yeah, we took, you guys took that personally, that, that was not what your standards are. And, and that's mm -hmm. not what we're about. And I think it's easy to be sometimes in a team environment, you get a bunch of guys or, or, or women who young women who it's easy to be in a group and it's like too cool for school type of attitudes, like, ah, whatever, not a big deal. I'm going to go on, maybe play pro after this anyway. So what's the big deal, but you guys didn't, you guys took that personal. And then you put that final layer on in 2002 and said, let's go, let's go prove it. So that's, that's fascinating. That's really um, impressive. Talk a little bit. So here we are again, next chapter, next stop. Winning is following you, Steve, with, within every chapter and, and you're, or you're bringing it along with you and both and both. And, and, and you're going from Frank Martin to Steve Smith, to coach Gary Williams and another really hall of fame level coach who mm -hmm. you get a chance to be around and soak up. And what was it like getting coached by Gary Williams? It was great. Um, another coach that a bit similar, more similar to Frank Martin than than to Steve Smith, um, someone who is not going to take uh, anything less than 100 to 110 percent of effort um, and doing things the right way. Um, and from as little of things to don't ever come on the basketball court with your shoes not already tied, ready to go. Like, like things like that it was like, if you're coming out of the locker room, have your shoes ready to go. We're ready. We're going to compete right from the second you step on the court. And it's like, you have that instilled in you in a daily basis. Like every day, like you got to be ready. You got to be ready to go right from the start, you know, mentally, physically. And he, you know, instilled that into all of us. And we were ready to go from the second we stepped on that court and we were always ready to compete. And as well as him being a great teacher. I mean, we had a specific offense. We ran the flex offense um, and he taught that to us on a daily basis and we became extremely proficient at it. And then, um, you know, defensively, he, you know, his competitive spirit. And I, when someone is that intense, you can't help but be that intense as well and in your own way. Um, sure, sure. And you had to bring it because if you weren't going to bring it, you weren't going to play. And so that was, that's just the way it was. And so we had to, and he got the best out of us. How did you process getting coached hard and, and by, int by intense coaches every step of the way, pretty much? It's, you know, I don't know if, how to pinpoint that specifically. I, I think I just, my personality wasn't too, you know, butt heads with people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Part of it's probably just, you know, my dad telling me you better listen to your coach or else um, yeah. <laughs> stuff, like early yeah. on. Um, yeah. And, you know, showing respect for for coaches and for, you know, someone older than you and, and you know, being taught those kind of things. And and you just 
you know, you listen, you say, okay, and you try and be better. Um, I, I don't know what, how else to add on to those. Just well, kind of it's almost interesting that. because it's like, it's like this ability you had <laughs> to take losing personally. That's a thing that, that I'm, I, I'm here to win. And that's what you were there to do at any level. And you took it personally when you lost that big game in the final four or any game or any competition, that is a great place where it helped you to take that type of, uh, instance or a situation personally but then you also on the other side of it had this ability to not take it personally that this coach is riding me like you said it was maybe about relationships all these coaches that you've talked about it, you've talked about their ability to win over or, or get buy-in through their ability to have a relationship you, because you had that relationship i think there's a lesson in here for both coaches and players because i think the coaches you've now described had a, a really strong ability to get give you know develop a relationship with their players know that they had their their players knew they had their back and yeah part of it's going to be intense but they knew they cared and then in in from so from coach's standpoint it's a lot easier to to expect a lot from a player or a team when you've developed those relationships mm -hmm. and then from a player standpoint and this is just me putting it together as i'm listening to you but it, it from a player standpoint the lesson is look if they didn't care about you or think that you had potential, they're probably not going to ride you or expect a lot from you. You want them to expect that from you. You want them to push and, and pull almost at times the most out of you. And sometimes, mm -hmm. I mean, we all need that. We all need a coach that has a, a, a another mm -hmm. level of expectation. So I don't know. It just, it's amazing listening to you. And, and those are some of the things and that, that it, it, it starts to sum up for me as I, as I listen. It's so, so fascinating. Yeah. I, Absolutely. Um, relationships are, are a huge key to, to what coaches need to be doing. I mean, even kind of like for me today, uh, you know, being a, a father, you know, I, yeah. you know, I have this relationship with my kids and there's times where I'll scream at them or, you know, yell at them, but, but sure. they know, I, they know that I love them. I mean, we have a hard time in the moment at times, but at the end of the day, you know, the next day we're going to hug and we love each other and we're just going to, we're going to move on. They know I love them and they know, I know they love me and it's just the same thing with a coach player relationship. You know, that's why I kind of, you kind of hear a lot of, of coaches as father figures and um, because they're there to help you, but they are going to challenge you and they're going to maybe yell at you at times. But in, and I'm not looking at it from the outside and sometimes you're like, why is that guy, why is that player letting him yell at him like that? He shouldn't take that. It's like, well, you don't know the backstory. You don't know what they have been through together. Like maybe they've had some emotional thing in, in the background that kind of joins them together where they can, they can have that type of relationship right. and the coach can yell at them. And so I, I, you never want to be too judgmental if you don't know actual situations. Um, but yeah, so coaches, um, you, like you said, the relationship allows that kind of communication at times. What was your routine for preparation of a game over the years and what it maybe evolved into once you got into the NBA or, or maybe it kind of stayed the same from Miami high all the way to the Lakers? For me in the NBA, I, I did settle into a routine where I, I very early on, I would get to the arena really early, um, most way before most of the other players were there. And, and I'd get a workout in um, and shots up and stuff even while the, you know, the arena is pretty fairly empty right. and I kind of get that routine in and then I'd 
come back and, and, you know, drink my, uh, my coffee, you know, my special Tim coffee at, at times and that's right. And kind of be able to relax and get whatever, you know, maybe treatment I might need. And, and so I had that really early on workout treatment of some sort, kind of a relaxed state. Um, and then, um, as we got closer to a coach's speech or whatnot, then start ramping up in my mind, kind of what, you know, studying our film, our, our sheet of, of our information on each player and what they like to do and kind of get in that study mode and then kind of ramp it up from there. And that kind of, kind of became my routine and then lifting weights afterwards. Yeah. 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 No, I'm so glad you detailed that. And, <laughs> you know, I have to let listeners into what you just uncovered the, the very, tip of in terms of the the coffee routine that you were <laughs> one of the early um customers of of my my friend <laughs> my french press routine yes. that i would bring into the into the uh locker room and then into the even we would travel with it i can remember i can remember being in a preseason in china and having the little coffee station going in my right. hotel room in china we we <laughs> were not leaving home without a five pound bag of coffee grounds and a french press i'll tell you that we had a separate trunk just for the uh for the coffee <laughs> and we'll, we'll we'll do a little mini series uh of episodes on the story of how coffee intertwined with the NBA and how big of a underculture it is now. But um, Steve, Steve was on the, he was a forefather of what you see now. You see a French press in just about every, every locker room, every coach's room. And, and yep. we were, we were, we were doing on that, that on the early end, but um, yeah, Chris, Chris and Chris and I took that from you on when we both played together in Portland, we kept that's it going right. and it just became, you know, other people join in and it's just kind of became what it is now. No then, doubt. Yeah, and then you see the apex of it in the bubble where it's like players are literally running like the pop-up coffee shops or espresso bars. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So you win this NCAA championship. You're on the pinnacle of one of, um, I'm sure what was one of your goals of, of going to Maryland and why you chose mm-hmm. that school to be in the mix on that and have a shot at that. And you, and you do it, you check the box and then some, now it's turning to, was there a point either before or after that at Maryland where you're saying to yourself, or maybe you knew all along, but take us into where it was like, okay, I'm, this is, this is lining up nicely. I'm, I'm going to be able to get drafted. I'm going to be, be, I, I'm going to be able to hold my own. I'm going to be able to get to this next level that I always probably dreamed of, but I'm confirming it at, through my time at Maryland. What, what was mm-hmm. the point where it's like, Hey, the NBA is going to happen for me. I just have to play the cards. Right. Yeah. Slow, slowly through my freshman year on up to winning a national championship um, was starting to believe that I was, had what it take to be in the NBA. Um, didn't know exactly for sure, but I was starting to believe it and other people were starting to say it. And then you win a national championship and then you, you hear it from more people. And, and then you hear some other people like, oh, maybe, maybe you could leave early, um, you know, but, you know, let's explore that. Um, so you explore it a little bit. You realize, you know, I'm, I'm not a guaranteed first round pick. You know, it's not that's I don't want to leave school early if that's not a, yep. a foregone conclusion. Um, so we had small talks of that. Now I'm, at this point, I'm like, but I know, I know I can play. I've, you know, I'm playing in the summertime against some other guys in the league and, and you're feeling that you can do that. Um, <clears throat> and then you go to your senior year and you, uh, I had another great year. Um, became first team all ACC. Um, I think we lost in the sweet 16. Um, we, we were still really good, but we didn't quite have, you know, we had lost Juan Dixon and Chris Wilcox and Lonnie Baxter. We lost three starters. Um, 
you know, if Chris Wilcox would have come back to school, maybe we had another chance at it, but um, we were still really good. And then, you know, that senior year, you know, I was more of a, more of a main guy as far as scoring a little bit more, but still staying within my role. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people are telling me, you know, you got a good chance of making it, and, but you still, it's never a given for someone in my situation. You know, I'm, I'm still, you know, a point guard who's not overly quick. I'm not going to overly, I'm not dunking the ball. You know, right. I can dunk. Don't, don't get twisted. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't my thing. You know, I wasn't going to throw it down on people. And so I wasn't, you know, you didn't look at me and be like, Oh, he's, he's physically ready, you know, type of situation. Sure. So then you get into your workouts. Um, you know, I think I was like maybe 10 NBA workouts, um, which was for me, it was good. Cause I could show NBA teams what I could do, but it, I was kind of in that situation where it was really hard to get those top rated point guards to work out against me. And so that's another challenge you kind of have to face as uh, mm. someone trying to make the NBA. Cause those guys that are already projected lottery picks, like why would they play against someone like myself? You know, it only damage what they're trying to do. Um, but I did well enough to where um, I showed some teams that I should be in the NBA. And that's when I ended up getting drafted, which I'm sure we can touch on at some point. Yeah. Any of those workouts that stand out for you in that sort of 10 r- team run that you have to go through on the carousel there? Yeah, prob- probably. Uh, the team that ended up drafting me, which was the Washington Wizards, yeah. uh, my workout there went really, really well. I, I was able to actually to play against Kirk Heinrich, who at the time was a highly rated point guard, was going to go probably, he was going to end up going lottery. Um, and he was a guy that was a, someone that if I was to move up in, in the draft board or whatnot, I needed to play well against. And I did, I had a really good workout. And I think that's probably why the Wizards drafted me. Um, I went in the second round, it was a 38th pick. Um, but I think it had to do with, I was able to play against a really top, really good point guard. And I showed that I could, I could do what I could do. Um, and so that kind of worked out for me. No doubt. No doubt. So you, you get drafted by Washington and what's that first, what's that first year of, of NBA life? What were the parts that were easy to kind of flow into or parts that were hard to (laughs) adapt to and, and, and get used to? Um, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it was, it was, it was easy, but I wouldn't say it was hard by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you're, you're young and you get treated like a rookie. No question. I mean, you got your best, <laughs> you know, Christian Leitner making me get his bags and stuff. And, uh, um, but you know, I had been around quite a few of those guys just cause Maryland was only, you know, 15 minutes away, 20 minutes away. And so I, I, played against a few of those guys and they kind of knew who I was. And mm. um, so they treated me with respect and um, the level of basketball obviously increases. And, and I would, I always say, tell people like the difference between college and the pros, especially at first is, and on an NBA team, the 15th guy in the roster is the best player on a college team, you know? So it's, it's right. like, whereas in college, the 15th guy is a walk-on who's, you know, not ever going to play anywhere um, for the most part. And so everybody's right. good. Everyone's huge. Everyone can play. They're all fast, strong, and, and you know, so everyone can play. And that's, that's the biggest difference, I think, uh, at first. And then you get used to the speed and, and getting comfortable. You know, I was nervous as heck the first time I got on the NBA court, you know, in a preseason game, <laughs> you know, my legs were a little yeah. bit weak and I was like, <laughs> check, 
you know, was on a fast break and I think I could barely jump to lay it in. I was so nervous that first game, even though it's just, you know, it's like managing that, that nervousness, you know. Um, but after a couple of games, you get used to it and then you just, you just roll with it. I mean, you just playing basketball, you're working out and you around great people and coaches and now you're making some money and it's feeling right. good. So you're having fun. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. So, you know, 13 years in the NBA, one of those stops was with the Lakers. And, and that's obviously where we had the, I, I feel from my end, the, the amazing fortune to develop our friendship and, and spend our time together. And um, I, I always sensed Steve that, your relationship with Kobe and rest in peace and, you know, your, your time, your, the way that you interacted with him and the, and the way that he interacted with you, I just sense, and I, I'm just looking to see if this felt this way for you or what it was like from your end. But I, I got anyways from how I had to interact with Kobe and get to know him and, and, and get, I, I would say accepted by him. I think he made people earn his trust, earn his friendship, earn his respect as, as mm -hmm. much as, as anybody that I was around. And mm -hmm. I, I always felt like you had that in, in, in just the highest amounts from him. Did that feel that, that way for you? And what, what was your time with Kobe like? And, and am I on base or off base on, on kind of how that felt for you? Yeah. Um, still still a, a sad thing to think about um but just to so hard it, it started it started literally the the day that i um decided to uh commit and sign or, or verbally commit to the lakers um i think it was not maybe a few hours later um that he reached out to me you know i mean right right off the bat it's like one of the he was one wow. of the first people to to contact me after i had already committed uh, to go there and sign a contract with them you know he reached out and was just like hey Steve I love you as a player welcome to the family and you know that to me that that was that was touching to me you know one of the best players ever played a game someone I competed against and to be honest with I I didn't like as a you know I wanted to because he was so competitive and we had butted heads before in games yeah. it's like you know you go from you know kind of this kind of respect but kind of a hate relationship type of thing, you know, yeah. to all of a sudden you guys, you know, he's calling, he's one of the first people to reach out and say, welcome to the family. And that's the kind of person he was. Um, and as I got there and we started to connect on a more uh, personal level, you know, we both were young fathers. Um, we had kids around the same age. So we were always, you know, sharing videos of our kids in sports and, and he kind of, I think he, knew that I, I don't want to ever put myself in the same level as him, but as far as being a competitor, yeah. he knew, he knew that's all I cared about was winning, doing things the right way. And I was going to do whatever it took to win. And I think that kind of helped me and him and I have a relationship and we kind of were into a lot of the same things and we just bonded over the years and became great friends and, and uh, great teammates and, so yeah, I'm definitely miss miss those uh, those moments that we had and would have had. Truly, yeah i I always felt like Kobe was a guy that was always looking around for who's gonna who he wants and who he would know without hesitation. I want that person in my foxhole, and mm -hmm. you 
you check those boxes and then some from your competitiveness, from your ability to be enjoyable to be around and from that reliability, he knew he could count on you. He knew you were putting the preparation. He, he, I think he put a lot of stock in that. I think that he knew you were preparing yourself and that when that, as you said, when the arena was smelling like popcorn and the lights were brighter <laughs> and, and everything was a little bit hotter and, and more intense that you were, were going to be there for him and you were going to be there with him. And, and sure. so um, that that's really it's touching to me as we prepared for this discussion and conversation we were going to have, I went back and, and just sort of thought through what your relationship was like with Kobe. And I, I felt like there was a, a really special bond there. And it's, it's really special for me to hear you say that that felt that way for you. And, and, and um, it's uh, yeah, something that you had and a chance to compete with him in the trenches. I had a chance to, work with him and 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 be able to support him from the, mm -hmm. the strength side of things and that you and I both share some really touching experiences and and just that that time that we had with him was was so near and dear to, to both of us so yeah absolutely I mean he, he was I, he was a special person I mean yeah uh, he was <laughs> he had a unique ability to basically do whatever he wanted I mean he uh I share this right uh, one time we uh we were talking on the bus or something like that. He's like, yeah, I, no, I can play the piano. I can play like Beethoven or something like that. I was like, man, sh shut up. You can't do that. What are you <laughs> talking about? Like, he's like, no, I taught myself how to do it. I'm like, no, no, you didn't. Like, and so we, I think we landed in Milwaukee and it's like one in the morning, we're walking into the hotel and he's like, dude, there's a piano in the back ballroom over here. I was like, well, let's go. I got a hundred bucks that you can't play this song right now. <laughs> and we go back there and just him and then maybe me and the security guard, or whatever. And he starts playing. I forget what it was, it was like right. Mozart and play right. Beethoven or something like that. Right. And I'm like, I crumbled up the hundred dollar bill. I threw it at him. I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> you, you SOB. God, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, what can't he do? It's, uh, I know. And, you know, and it, and it was with everything, right? I mean, I, it's so funny you bring that up because I have, a piano Kobe story too, where he, we, we lost in Memphis and it was sort of like a, just a real pivotal moment in the season. And we had had a string of a couple bad losses and we lost in Memphis. We go to Chicago. So the, the ship had to get righted. And, and so we're, we're getting into Chicago at you know, 3 a.m., whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And we're getting up to our rooms finally after sending bags up and all that stuff. And I get the text from him. What are you doing? In my head, I'm like, I mean, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> uh, of course, I didn't text that bag. I said, nothing. What, what can I help with? And, and he's like, I want to lift right now. And so mm -hmm. meet me, meet me in the, um, meet me in the lobby downstairs and we'll, we'll go to the hotel weight room. So I come down, grab my stuff. I come down and I come out of the elevator in the lobby level and I hear, just like you said, classical, amazing music coming off the piano. And I'm like, why in the world would they have somebody sitting here paying somebody <laughs> to, to play at this time of day? Right. There's no, no traffic in the going through the lobby right now. And of course, right. I come around the corner and it's him waiting for me. Just, you know, <laughs> just, 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 just taking a piano for a stroll and, and, and it. <laughs> throwing out some Mozart or whatever it was. And, right. and uh, but yeah, I mean. I also think back to, uh, I, I believe it was, a, it was one of our Thanksgiving 
I'm trying to think about where we were, but it was on the road for Thanksgiving and the team would obviously set up a nice little ballroom and we'd get a, a great spread and, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And I, I think so, you know, the whole traveling party could, could come and, and to the, the, the team and the, the team dinner there and, and sit down at the buffet and, or sit down at the tables and grab something at the buffet and have a Thanksgiving, watch some football in the background, but somebody had a football and they're throwing it. <laughs> and, and the, the, uh, some of our, um, our color commentators were just playing a little game of if, if you could catch it with one hand mm-hmm. and, and, and from, you know, 10 feet or 20 feet away or whatever we were. And, and, and yeah. of course he jumps into that and it's like, <laughs> there, you know, it's like, all right, no, no way. And everybody's calling no chance. I mean, he had, he had, he didn't have, you know, the, the league's biggest hands. I mean, it was in terms of his, his hand dimensions versus some of other mm-hmm. guys. And so it was like, yeah, no, you can't do it. Sure enough. He, he, I think he missed the first one. He's again, run it back, run it back. Boom. He's, it's <laughs> like, he's like Odell Beckham jr. All of a sudden right, it's like, right. dude, first of all, why are you even thinking of doing that? You're going to jam a finger right now. Right. But, you know, he couldn't help himself with the competition and, yeah. and, and, uh, and there he was, but um, yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace and just cherish all those memories and, and what he left as a legacy for all of us to, to take from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, this has been absolutely incredible. I've just uh, goosebumps from, from the start to finish here for me anyway. So for, for Phil and I, thank you so much. And, and what a, what a chance to get into your journey and, and hear what it's taken to do the amazing things you've done. We have one famous question that we always finish with. And Uh yeah, here we go. (laughs) This is, this is the basketball strong podcast. And the question is, what does it mean to you to be basketball strong? And you can go spiritual, you can go technical, you can go emotional and, and everything in between your head, your mind, your, your gut, what it tells you that means. Wow. Um, there can be a lot that goes into being basketball strong. I think when I think about my journey, I think of um, loving what I'm doing and mm. um, sacrifice. Um, are you, are you just because I, I had to sacrifice a lot to, to be in the gym all the time, to go to schools that took me away from my friends to, to, not always have late nights and stay in and, and get up early and and where are you are you willing to sacrifice some comfortable things maybe enjoyable things to really become better and do what you love um and that's and that'd be that can go for whatever aspect of life in general are you willing to sacrifice for those things and i i was for basketball and it was the time you know you got to put the time in the gym and you know, do you love it? And are you willing to sacrifice for it? That's what's going to make you strong. So powerful. That's, that's, that's just so dead on. And, and, you know, exactly why you've lived and continue to live a basketball strong life. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Tim. Steve, this has been incredible. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate the time. I wish you guys all the best and uh, please stay in touch. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. 
And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.